0: Sports Band Radio. We're
1: sorry, the number you dialed is not in service at this time.
0: Three,
2: two,
1: three. Welcome to the Tale of the Tape. Welcome back to the Tale of the Tape. I'm Kenny Keith of SportsRantRadio.com, and with me, as always, my co-host and partner in crime, boxing connoisseur Vince Cummings. What up, Vin? What's going on, Ken, buddy? Welcome to episode 18. I feel like we're just pumping these things out like a factory right I now. I know, man. God damn. I know it's awesome. Well, what was even more awesome was last night the spectacle from the StubHub Center in Carson, California. They called it Mexican style as Gennady Golovkin returned to the ring to take on Marco Antonio Rubio in a really highly anticipated fight after the crap that Al Heyman put us through the last two months, man. This was was much needed. It was refreshing, yes. Absolutely. So we're going to start with the main event of the evening. The crowd at the StubHub Center was absolutely electrifying. Yes, it was. I've never seen a crowd there with so much buzz like that.
2: Yeah, that's unbelievable, man, and that just speaks to Triple G right there.
1: You know, it's strange because, like, that that venue has hosted so many explosive, memorable action fights, but it's usually the fight that gets the crowd going. Right. This time, it was the crowd that had everybody on the edge of their seats anticipating the buzz when Triple G entered the arena, he literally, for the first time in his career as as a spectator, made you feel like, wow, we are watching something special. We are seeing one of the world's elite athletes about to go and put in work.
2: Right. And you know that uh, the Stark is only going to burn brighter, you know, the way, especially off that performance. Once again, I mean, the guy is just unbelievable.
1: They were chanting, Triple G. Triple G, Triple G. There's no other way to describe it, man. The crowd, they did their job. And I do believe that the StubHub Center holds at capacity around 7,500 people. Last night, they were tipping 10,000.
2: Unbelievable. Uh, you could tell. It was electric, man. It was
1: definitely electric. I bet in hindsight, they wish that they had, had fought at the Staples Center or the Forum. The right, forum. right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. They
2: could have sold out anywhere.
1: Yeah. It definitely could have. So we come into the first round of this fight, and from the beginning, Triple G was doing his normal stalking and calculating, as Triple G is known to do from the onset of the first bell.
2: Yeah, he he sets his little uh, seek-and-destroy mindset. He finds his, or looks for his right distance, and man, does he unload.
1: He sort of gets locked in almost like he times the the movement of his opponent not not as punches, I'm talking about like when when he establishes himself as the ring general, right it's almost like his first goal from the bell is to shadow his opponent, right, so it gives him the ability to to more easily cut off the ring,
2: yeah, he's great at cutting off the ring and and in order for him to be successful that's that's got to be his number one thing
1: We will see as as time progresses and his opponents grow in stature his if this is something that that is a constant in every fight because it sure is other than his punching power his ring generalship is his number one asset
2: oh yeah he marches his opponents wherever he wants to march them
1: absolutely during this round you could see that in and the announcers said it during their their monologue that they like to give they like to like tell stories during these rounds but they actually snuck in some observations about triple g in this fight and He seemed to be reserving energy, and this is something that you can tell he doesn't like to waste punches. Right,
2: no, it's very calculated, uh, and he puts everything he has into every punch.
1: Right, exactly. There's bad
2: intentions on everything.
1: Right, so if he doesn't doesn't see the clear lane, or he's not engaged in in a firefight, he's going to calculate his distance from you. Right. So it's going to be more of a feeling... Let me stick my arm out here and, and kind of gauge my distance, right. so I have can establish my point of attack. Right. So towards the end of the round, there, you know, Rubio was game. He was sort of trying to, you know, he was trying to establish his distance. He was he was feeling out Triple G with his jab. He actually caught you know, Triple G is there to be hit. Okay, so he, he he actually touched him a little bit. You could see a little bit of redness underneath the eye, no swelling under Triple G's eye, but you could see where Rubio was was kind of touching him a little bit. He looked game, and at the end of that round, there was a little bit of an exchange there where Rubio touched him.
2: Yeah, I, after that first round, I'm thinking to myself, well, well, damn, I underestimated Rubio a little bit because he, uh, he actually looked like he stopped Triple G in his tracks a couple times.
1: Yeah, he he definitely did, and maybe it was a little bit of tentativeness on Triple G's part because he, he definitely needed to feel Rubio's power. Yeah. Because Rubio has knocked people, a lot of people out. Right. Now, granted, he hasn't fought. I mean, Kelly Pavlik's probably his best opponent to date. Yeah. You know, and Pavlik uh, wasn't exactly known to have the chin that Golovkin has a reputation for. No,
2: no, not at all.
1: <laughs> you, uh, I believe you called him in episode 17. You called Kelly Pavlik a poor man's Triple G. Yeah. I mean,
2: <laughs> he kind of is.
1: <laughs> so move to the second round. Golovkin threw every single punch in the book at him in this round. From every single possible angle. Accurate. And this goal around, This round. The second round. Was delivering booming. Crushing blows. And the inevitable outcome of the fight. To quote my co-host. Who is sitting across the table from me. As we speak. KO2. KO2.
2: Yes indeed.
1: And they were booming shots. Which was set up by the first initial uppercut that caught Rubio and shook him to the ground.
2: Yeah, what I walk away from most impressed about Triple G in this fight was his ability to, his accuracy is so good, and, and to throw from these weird angles and to catch just the temple or
1: the, the right spot, I mean, the guy is unbelievable. The knockout punch came on a on a left hook that was thrown from almost a... How a baseball pitcher would throw three quarters, right?
2: Like a forty-five degree, yep. you know, chopping and down.
1: I described it in my notes as I'm taking uh, notes during the fight, as it was a whack-a-mole shot, like yeah, he just right. thumped him right on top of the forehead. Yeah, and man, that was watching his knockout punches in slow motion is one of the coolest things to do. It really is. No other fighter. Puts more into a punch than Golovkin. You can see where his power comes from—the tip of his toes. Oh
2: yeah, he it completely loads up from the floor to the to the end of the fist.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. You can see every muscle in his body contracting and delivering into that punch, man. Um, there are a lot of a lot of fighters out there have impressive styles. There's signature punches that that leave impressions in our memories. Punches like Miguel Cotto's famous left hook to the body—that Right. That you can watch on slow motion over and over and over again—and his his form is so repeated; it's it's been practiced and perfected into his muscle memory. And Golovkin's left hook and right hook are the two most impressive punches in
2: boxing. Oh yeah, they're so—I mean—they're quick, they're heavy, mm-hmm. and they're accurate as you can accurate as a puncher can throw a punch. I mean that's. That's the biggest thing I'm walking away from this time in this fight is Triple G has unbelievable accuracy.
1: Indeed he does. Deadly accuracy. Pinpoint, no doubt. Rubio went down on that whack-a-mole thump to the forehead, and he seemed quite all right and comfortable down there on the campus. Oh, yeah.
2: It's almost like he went down to his butt, and then he was like,
1: "Uh, let me just lay on back here, put my hands behind my head. I'm done with this. Yeah, he had no intention whatsoever once he felt that and went down. Yeah. He waited and waited and waited. It was, dude, it was the same exact thing that happened when Gil got knocked down, and he got up right at the last second and was just like... Uh, I can't see anything yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> yeah, needless to say, he got up at about a 9.9 count, and... That was a quick count, too. It was a quick count, but it was like basically... D- Get up. It was like, 8, nine, ten. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Get up, dude. Yeah. Either way, he was perfectly content with the outcome. Yeah. He not... made, he, you know, he made a look like, oh, what? What? I was up. Yeah. But, but quickly was like, oh, I'm good. <laughs> yeah.
2: Actually, never mind.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. This is over. A fighter that isn't concerned on making weight stays on the canvas like that, don't you think?
2: Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think he knew when he got up, he's like, hey, you know what? I still got a decent paycheck. I will yeah. take it.
1: Yeah, I, I I made a half a million dollars. Yeah, I lost a hundred thousand, but who cares? Right. I wasn't going to make uh, close to a half a million dollars fighting anybody else on any other day. Nope. So this will be a, a little nest egg retirement. You know, deposit to the four hundred one k. Yeah,
2: five minutes of work.
1: Absolutely. And I sent you a text. Okay, we're going to talk about Robert Garcia for a second. I sent you a text about Robert Garcia. I'm beginning to believe that Robert Garcia is being paid by somebody to be... What is the basketball team's name that plays against the Harlem Globetrotters, the Washington Senators? Yeah, was, yeah. Yeah? And they are paid to lose. Yeah. They go out there, and they are just there to be made, looked clownish. Yeah. Do is Robert Garcia or any of his fighters ever going to win again? I,
2: I don't know, man. I think his records, what? Oh, and four in his last four big fights or uh,
1: the Rios Chavez fight, which was
2: gifted to him. Oh uh, yeah. Come on. He was going to lose that fight. If it went any further, Yeah, he was losing on the
1: scorecards. Right. I posted a tweet on the internet that asked Robert Garcia, are you a trainer? or are you a Mitsubishi billboard
2: or just a mouthpiece for all these Mexican fighters is what I feel like he is. It's, it's, he he's really I I I guess he became a star because of his mouth, and I don't know what the deal is as far as these guys, these fighters coming up, and now even not even fighters coming up. Everybody's tr- just grasping on to Robert Garcia boxing, and I I don't I just don't get it.
1: I don't either. There is a common denominator with the Garcia Boxing Academy, is that all of his fighters they arrive to camp twenty pounds overweight. And they struggle to make the weight that they should be at. They they don't show up like they don't show up the the expected five or ten pounds over the weight. Like right. let me backtrack a little bit. All right, Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather walk around at 147 pounds. Right. Ready. Okay. On the ready. On the ready, right? Bernard Hopkins walks around at one hundred and seventy four and a half pounds. Right. Like it is, he's, last night in the 24-7, Bernard Hopkins said, I don't have training camps. He goes, I am a world-class athlete. This is my profession.
2: Right. This is what I do. There's no reason for you to not to be in shape year-round.
1: Yeah, it's like what? So they lose, they they divvy up the half a million dollar check that they get to be, uh, set them up, prop, knock them down fighters. Right. They take the loss, and what do they, they all split the $500,000, get in their little, Tricked out hoopty minivan and roll back to the uh, Garcia Boxing Academy. Going here's a hey man ten thousand for you, ten thousand for you. Here's some coronas. Like I don't, <laughs> I, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't either, man. Well, what is the philosophy at this at this camp? Brandon Rios shows up fat, out of shape, and undetermined for every fight. Maidana shows up to two camps against Mayweather, fat and out of shape. And then last night when he's pinned in a corner and asked why Rubio. Didn't go back on the scale after he weighed in at 161.8 pounds. What did Garcia say?
2: He said, I believe it was, we just lost 12 pounds a couple days before. Maybe, maybe it was even more than 12 pounds. I, don't yeah, know. I think he said 15. 15. Yeah. So I'm not going to ask my fighter to, to suck down two more pounds when he just went through that and his body is drained. Well, buddy, when you're sucking down 15 pounds three days before the fight, you got a problem. You already have a problem. Whether you needed two more pounds or not, your fighter is drained. That is so unhealthy. I I don't, there's, it just makes absolutely no sense. And I hope fighters start to realize that the guy is a mouthpiece and not a trainer. If you want a real trainer, go find somebody else. Because this guy ain't helping anybody right now.
1: No, he's not. No, he's not. He is, he's in this for his own notoriety. You know, there's something to be said about a guy, okay, who retired from boxing really young because his his reasoning for it was his heart wasn't in it anymore, right right? His brother refuses to fight because he doesn't really care about boxing that much, right right, so they walk around with mitsubishi billboards plastered all over everything. any opportunity that Robert Garcia can get to be in front of the camera and talk he gets right he announced the the uh the big knockout boxing. Show right, right? so it seems like he is in this for his own promoting the Robert Garcia brand. He's not in this. Freddie Roach is a trainer, right? That just so happened to get famous because arguably the most famous fighter in the world just so happened to be his first big star,
2: right? And he's been able to reincarnate Miguel Cotto and have other great fighters all throughout that time. Yeah, it's completely different. The 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 gap between. Trainers like Garcia and Roach is it's infinite.
1: But they're calling him the Mexican Freddie Roach. I, yeah. And it's because... It, it's only because they're both famous.
0: Right, exactly.
1: It's like, oh, hey, here's another famous trainer. Right. I'm sorry, man. Like... It, I don't even know what to make of it anymore. And and then he gets right after he says, "Oh, well, I, I'm not going to ask Rubio to get back on the scale after he, you know, barely made weight because he came into camp so lazy." Right. Then the the follow up question to that is, "Yeah, but isn't this becoming a trend?" Right. And what was his answer? Oh no, th- no, this happens all around boxing.
2: Right. Sometimes fighters just come in just a little overweight to camp. You keep an eye. A real trainer doesn't just after the fight say, "Hey." See you later when the next fight gets signed, and we'll uh, we'll figure it out from there don't eat too much it, it's it's ridiculous,
1: man. yeah, and then you know to go along with this, all these things are corroborating it's the same thing that's going on with floyd mayweather right he's being accused of all these things, and now all the evidence is coming out to corroborate all of these lies and bullshit right right so all all of this stuff is happening with Robert Garcia where all of his fighters are starting to make him look bad. And it's his own damn fault for oh, one. Of course. And now a news story comes out that his brother, Mikey Garcia, who's not even fighting right now because he's embroiled in a lawsuit with top rank because he thinks he's worth more than what he is and doesn't really care about boxing. Right. Just vacated his, his belt and his excuse is, oh, I can't make weight, so I'm moving up to 140 pounds. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. You can't, you're not even fighting. Right. You're, you're not even fighting. Where what, was
2: the attempt to make weight? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, what do, you, what, what do you need to make weight for? A maybe photo shoot? Tough man competition, maybe? Uh, I don't know. M- maybe it's a Mitsubishi billboard in Oxford, <laughs> right. California. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know, man. Uh, you know, it, it took a while for all of these things to sort of come together because, you know, I've made comments on previous episodes about Garcia and sort of like there, there seemed, I didn't necessarily have a lot of basis for what I was saying, but there was, al- I always had this gut feeling that there was something so fraudulent about this. Something
2: guy. lazy, right? And, and just undedicated. and Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, And and something that was just not authentic. Right. And guess what? It always comes out. You know, the proof is in the pudding, man. Yeah, There's too much of a spotlight on you. So if you want to be a Punch and Judy weekend at Bernie's trainer where it's like, hey, I can get all my guys big fights because I'm famous, which gives me big paydays. But I don't have to worry about training them that hard because they're going to lose anyways.
0: Right.
2: It's, man... The jig is up for Robert, too, I think.
1: That's a, It's just a horrible philosophy. Right. Now, I could talk about that all day, man, because that dude is... Uh, I don't know, man. The jig is up, fo' show. Sure. So, at the end of the fight, in the post-fight interview, <laughs> Triple G, in a Kazakh-Russian accent, starts speaking Spanish to the crowd. He my Muchas gracias, campeón. Muchas gracias. I was... Oh, man. That was so awesome, man. He how he must have practiced that forever, dude. Oh
2: yeah, I think so. I mean they're <laughs> so <laughs> awkward sounding. <God>. Muchas
1: gracias. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but you know what? He's endearing to the fans and they love him, man. Yeah.
2: He's always smiling. It's uh the guy can't do any wrong right now.
1: So this actually was and I didn't realize this before, and I usually try to cross my T's and dot my I's when it comes to the research like leading into these fights. Something we didn't touch on and it was easily overlooked in our last episode when we previewed the fight. People were wondering, why is he fighting Rubio? This is the only guy he can fight. This was actually a strategic move. This wasn't nobody else will fight him. It wasn't at all, and and we all assumed it was. He fought Rubio because Rubio's the interim WBC champion. Right. So if he wins the WBC interim belt, that makes him Miguel Cotto's mandatory challenger. Yeah. And if Miguel Cotto wants to remain the lineal champion of the world, he has to fight Triple G. Because if the belt gets stripped from Kodo, he's no longer. The line is broken.
2: Yes. Yeah, that's uh, very, very smart positioning there. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised we missed that too.
1: Yeah, and Tom Loeffler said in the, in, in the post-fight, basically saying, you know what? We did this on purpose, and this puts us into position to where we are going to fight the winner, of Canelo Cotto.
0: Right.
2: And they're going to fight four times a year, apparently. Yeah. So uh, that's what—that's another thing I love about him, and I wish more guys would do it. Even if you're not going to fight the best, just stay active, man. Yeah.
1: So I mean, Knock was, out
2: a Marco Antonio Rubio. Nobody cares. You're staying active. You're staying sharp. Yep. That's what you should be doing.
1: It's exactly what he should be doing. And this is why he's going to become even more endeared to boxing fans, and he's going to pick up. One of the biggest – he's going to pick up casual boxing fans because one of the biggest complaints that I hear from people if I'm sitting at a bar or I'm talking sports with somebody at work that I ask them if they like boxing, one of the reasons they don't watch it more often, they always say – my father has said this when I talk boxing with him – is, you know what, these guys only fight twice a year, man. He's like, so I don't even know when they're fighting. He's like, they're not active, and they just – the the best boxers don't fight anymore.
2: Right, unless you're plugged into the sport like we are, you know, every day, you you you're not going to know.
1: Yeah, and so now it looks like, and I, I'm pulling this out of my ass, but if I'm doing the math correctly, he's going to fight in February. Mm-hmm. He's going to fight sometime in May or June, right? Mm-hmm. March, yep. uh, around that time, April, May, June, and then he's going to fight again at the end of the summer, and he's going to fight again probably around the same time, October, November ish of next year.
2: Yeah, every every twelve to fourteen weeks, he's getting in the ring. Yeah.
1: Yeah, which is great. You know, and, and and the thing is, Gennady Golovkin is all of the guys that have signed with Al Heyman, all these guys that don't care about boxing. I'm not talking about Keith Thurman. I'm not talking about the guys that are dedicated uh, you know, brawlers. I'm right. uh, you know, I'm talking about ninety-five percent of the fighters that are signed with Heyman that don't really care about the sport, right? They don't care about being competitive or anything like that. Golovkin says, you know what? I love to fight. I want to fight. I am a fighter, just like Bernard Hopkins, just like the old school mentality. He loves to fight, so he's going to fight.
2: I bet, yeah, I think Golovkin said it. I love fight. Yeah,
1: I love fight. (laughs) I love fight. Oh, man. Yeah, you got to love this guy. Everything about him, everything about this guy, he is here to stay for sure. So later on in the, uh, I guess it was, it was right after the post-fight interview in the ring, Jim Lampley and Roy Jones and Max Kellerman do their little final wrap up of the fight. Right. Max Kellerman decides to, as the conversation always evolves, into who's next for Golovkin. Right. They start throwing all the names out there: Chavez Jr. Right. Frotch Cotto, Alvarez. Right. Right. Andre Ward. Well, as soon as they, as soon as the name Andre Ward is mentioned. Max Kellerman just goes boing. Yeah, he goes, people.
2: Let me tell you about my best friend.
1: <laughs> oh man, and he—that <laughs> is his cue. As soon as that music starts playing in his headphone, in his earpiece, that's his cue to instantly recite Andre Ward's resume. Yeah. Oh, he's a—he's an Olympic gold medalist. He's probably the best fighter in the world. It's like, do you are you being paid by Andre Ward or? or Virgil Hunter, or HBO, to remind people that Andre Ward still exists.
2: I feel like he does it on every telecast. whether Everywhere. He's, whether he's fighting, whether that weight class is even being <laughs> televised that night. It's ridiculous.
1: If the converse, if somebody's having a conversation about pound for pound, if somebody's having a conversation about anybody within range, 20 pounds yeah. of 160, heavyweights all the way down to welterweights, Hold on, let me let me throw my Andre Ward fluff in there. <laughs> right. Let me, let, you know, let me tickle his fancy a little bit. Let me juggle a bit. Yeah, he dangles, doesn't he? He does.
2: He's a dangler.
1: <laughs> he's just he's like a, a dingleberry. He's just swinging in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Just swinging in the look at him just hanging there, just dangling from Andre Ward. Oh my God, it's hilarious. <laughs> I'm tired of hearing it, man. Yeah, it's like. Andre Ward is not making any effort to fight and then Jim Blampley has to throw into. No, I got an email from Andre Ward's lawyer saying that Andre Ward will fight Triple G anytime, yeah, any place. They
2: contacted HBO this past week and said uh, anytime, any place. Yeah, right, sure.
1: They throw those little nuggets out there to make it seem like Andre Ward isn't as fraudulent as he is. Right. I hate I mean I must say fraudulent when I do a boxing show. I must say that word at least Fifty times.
2: There's fraud everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, half the fighters in boxing live off of fraudulence, you
1: know? It's, yeah. It, it is. It's total... Like these guys think they're Jedi's, man. They just wave their arms and be like, believe what I say. Yeah, no,
2: <laughs> We're smarter than that, guys. Yeah, you're
1: Jedi drinks when that work on me. <laughs> so then I go to Twitter and Demetrius Andrade, Demetrius Andrade, whatever, however he wants us, boo-boo Andrade, however he wants us to pronounce his name this week. Okay. Your typical black American fighter in their twenties, flat footed and relies on being fast and black. With fast hands. Right. You know, yeah, he, is he talented? Yes. Yeah. Is he accurate? Yeah. For sure. Does he punch hard? Yes. Okay? But he, he could pu- he's so unbelievably flat footed. Yes. Right? He is. Okay. So before I get into his tweets, Andre puts in a petition with the WBO when Peter Quillen vacates his belt to fight Matt Korboff at middleweight. Right. Right? You remember that? Yeah. So then Al Heyman must have gotten his ear and said, Why did you do that? Because they reneged on it after the WBO approved that fight. Right. Because for about a week there, we thought that Andre was fighting Korobov. Right? Yeah, yep. And so he, he renegs that. Okay, I'm prefacing what this tweet says. So Andre says, after the fight, Triple G may hit hard, but he's too slow. Good hit, Good win for him tonight also. His next tweet. Anybody can hit a standing target. I proved that in my last fight. So then, in response to these two tweets, people start lighting him up, saying, well, then fight Triple G. Right. Fight, you know, fight Triple G. If, if you're, if you're going to sit here and criticize him and call him out, then fight him. Right. Right? His response to all these people calling him out after he says that is, I still got business to handle at 154. Hashtag Unify 154. So now, all of a sudden— right. His priority is... He, he was going to move up to fight Korobov. <laughs> at, at middleweight. Yeah, but
2: now, you know what? I'll hang, da- I'll hang down here. Yeah. 154 is good.
1: Somebody texted Andre after he was making those comments about Golovkin saying, dude, shut up. Right. Like, just stop. Stay, stay, don't even get in that his conversation. His advisor,
2: his manager, yeah, I'm sure.
1: You're not fighting Triple G. He's on the other side of the road. He's K2 HBO, okay? He is not Al Heyman, Showtime, NBC Sports. Right. Stop it. I just, I thought it was so fitting for an Al Heyman fighter to respond in that. No, 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 man. I got business to handle at 154. Dude, you can barely, in the the fight against, was it Brian Rose, his last fight? Yeah, yeah. They were talking, like, the main storyline of that fight, because he just dismantled Rose, was how he is moving up to 160 because he barely made weight for that fight. Right. He was two pounds overweight a couple hours before the weigh-in for that fight.
2: He's definitely got the body to be a middleweight. It's ridiculous. So, I mean, if you were going to fight Korobov and all of a sudden everybody's calling you out for Triple G and all of a sudden now you you got a little (laughs) cold feet. Yeah. uh,
1: I'll just start. I'll keep eating salads for a little while. What happens when a flat-footed fighter of the same exact ilk of Adrian Broner and Demetrius Andrade, they fight identically? Yes. Okay. They're in the pocket flat footed fighters. And what have you said? I remember this to a T. You said, You get Adrian Broner backing up, he can't fight.
2: Yeah. They can't move moving back. I can't punch moving backwards.
1: How is a flat footed fighter like Andre gonna handle somebody that stalks and attacks forward like Triple G?
2: He's not. He's he may be able to hold triple G off with movement and a jab for three or four rounds. But he's gonna get caught, and he doesn't have the chin. I think we saw him. Didn't he go down? Not in the Rose fight, but in uh, yeah, Marozzin put him down. Yeah, Marozzin. Yeah, Mar-O-Gian's a puncher though. Right. It's
1: still, 154 pound puncher.
2: Right. Uh, nowhere near Triple G.
1: <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I don't know. Sometimes these guys, you know, you know how it is in professional athletes. It's not just boxers. It's all professional athletes they make a comment in the in the emotion of whatever events going on and they, they there's all, there's got to be a dozen retractions a night from professional athletes right. watching I, sports
2: yeah it's it's ridiculous and i think uh i think andre is is signed to fight december 13th and i think they're i think it's one of the charlo brothers i can't remember <laughs> if it's jermel or jermal but
1: oh i thought that the i thought the charlo brothers were just uh we're just sparring partners. I didn't think they actually, <laughs> I didn't think they actually fought. Every time you see them, they're always being interviewed by like the guy that they spar. Like, like, remember Canelo Lara? Right. Like they're being interviewed. Like, yeah, yeah, we're the sparring partners. We're just here to cheer on for you know for our guy. You know, yeah, that's our guy. Yeah, he's fighting Jermel Charlo, um, on December thirteenth for Andre's WBO, uh, one hundred and fifty four pound belt. So yeah. There's two up.
2: prospects. It should be a good fight. One of, one of them will be eliminated from title contention.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, because they're Al Heyman guys. You're not undefeated in the Al Heyman world. You know, people get so hung up about like. We move on to Danair and Walters, okay? Because this kind of is a transition point about the the impact of losses. Okay, right. if you are a fighter and you're up and coming and you're undefeated, say you're twenty five and zero, like like Charlo and Andre are. And, and you lose, so what, you're done? Like, you're dead? You're, you're, you're damaged goods? No, you're damaged goods if you don't have any heart. Right. If you're, if you're like Nonito Diner, that has progressively lost his will to fight. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So we move on to the co-feature of Mexican style. The Filipino Flash, Nonito Diner, takes on the Axeman, the Jamaicanan, Nicholas Walters, in the featherweight division. 126-pound fight. And this was for Walters' WBA Super World featherweight belt, correct? Yep. WBA Super uh, Super <laughs> Super World featherweight, not Super featherweight. Right. So the Axeman, as you pointed out, has the reach of a cruiserweight. Yeah. 73-inch reach. That's
2: unbelievable,
1: man. This fight starts off from the beginning, and Walters was staying behind the jab and being very economical, and sort of keeping Donaire at a distance because you could see there was a very, very clear difference in the reaches of these two fighters. Oh,
2: yeah. I I think at first he kind of wanted to feel Donaire's power, too. I think that was one thing he wanted to feel in that fight was to reassure himself, okay, let me feel this. Let me make sure I can handle this stuff, and then I'll go to work.
1: So... Donaire fought smart in that first round, though. But then at the very end, they started to exchange. And, and this was what everybody had anticipated the fight was going to be. Just like when Johnny Gonzalez and Jorge Arce fought, you knew at some point, even though they were feeling each other out for the first two right. rounds, you knew it was going to open up at some point. Yeah. And Donaire counterpunched pretty well at the end of that first round and actually touched Walters a little bit with a left hook. Yeah. Okay. As we go along the, talking about this fight, not only did the announcers do a horrible job calling this fight. What made it so sad to me and distracting while trying to watch the fight. Before the first opening bell rang. They said, for the first few rounds, we're going to talk about other things. Yeah. They said they were going to talk about other things. This this was, in boxing circles, this was... Supposed to be the most competitive fight. Oh,
2: fight of the year candidate.
1: Yeah. And you're, we're going to, what was the fight they were talking about?
2: Oh, they wanted to give you a uh, a breakdown on Azuma Nelson, and I can't remember the other guy, from the mid-80s. And how I, just how it was a young, up-and-coming guy against an established, you know, uh,
1: who cares? Max Kellerman cannot see... He cannot see the speed of the fight. Right. He has trouble calling things in real time. Oh, definitely. So his participation in in the in the telecast is reciting Wikipedia pages.
2: Oh yeah, he's he's a boxing historian, like we talked about before we went on air.
1: But it became really distracting in a fight that I I was so looking forward to watching.
2: Right. I I don't and if they were tuned into what the fans were talking about before this card or even when this fight was announced, man, people were just as amped for this fight as they were for the Triple G fight.
1: Oh, yeah, man. Absolutely. You,
2: you knew you were getting fireworks, and you knew this was actually going to be the more competitive fight.
1: Sure, absolutely. So we go into the second round, and there was pretty much a lot of the same. Uh, Walters was out working uh, Donaire keeping him at the end of that jab. And Walters, to his credit sort of in the same fashion of Sergei Kovalev, has a lot of power at the end of his fingers. Oh, yeah. So the end of that jab was really marking Nonito's face up.
2: It was, yeah. He had mouses under both eyes.
1: Yep, and early. Yeah. And very early. But at the end of the round, Walters got a little bit sloppy, yeah. and Donaire rocked him with 10 seconds left in the round. I'm a firm believer, and it was said after the fight by Walters, I am a firm believer that if that punch happens 30 seconds, a minute, or longer left in that round, mm-hmm. I believe the way that, that the Filipino Flash fights, he would have finished Walters off and that fight would have oh, over. I, I think
2: so. He's, he's, a, he's a good finisher, so you would think that he would be able to handle that. With Walters
1: that. was stumbling everywhere.
2: Oh, yeah, he was. He was
1: drunk, wandering got, around the ring.
2: He got caught two or three times really good
1: man I you know what as a as a fan, I kind of wanted to see like a finish like that, right, you know what I mean, so you move on to the third round, and Walters took control of the fight,
2: yeah, you could tell definitely he came out in that third round, and credit to him for going back into the corner and regrouping, yeah and coming out the next round after being knocked down or almost knocked down and, and taking over the fight
1: he did, and he put donaire to to a knee, yeah, and it was the first time Donaire had been down in his career. Um, so to his credit, putting denaire down is definitely a tall task. But Donaire did not stop fighting. No. Uh-uh. He, he, he started bleeding more, but did not stop fighting. Things calmed down quite a bit in the in the fourth round. Um, and Daener was really showing the effects of the jabs to the face. He swelled up to the point, I think it was his right eye, Oh, like sort of was reminiscent of Chris Algieri's eye against Ruzan Provodnikov. Right, it was swelling up to the point where you could see that he was struggling to see out of his eyes. Plus, drub uh, blood dripping because the two cuts were right underneath of his eyebrows. Right, like, sort of on the eyelid, which is a weird, really awkward place to be cut. You're
2: gonna get blood in your eye if it's down there. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh, in the fifth round, Walters outworked him overall, and. The announcers were literally on the tip of my thumb on the mute button by that point. They weren't even talking about the fight. I,
2: I wish they'd almost go back to old school. Put a put a radio announcer in there. I'll shut down those guys and, and listen to some play-by-play radio announcer yeah. that just calls the punches.
1: You know, we, we talked about it before the fight. That same conversation, my wife and I, she wanted to watch a Muhammad Ali fight, so we watched Ali Foreman. Yeah. And... She was like, she, she was more captivated, not 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 so much by the rope-a-dope, but she was more captivated by the ring announcer, right, calling the action in the fight. But not only does the action help the person watching the fight, it provides an intensity and an atmosphere. Oh yeah, to the fight, it makes it elevates it to a whole different level of excitement. When they're calling the action, like, and he lands a right hook, he's got him on the ropes, and he fires back with a straight left, he's got him flailing, like... Yes, it's it's way better. Oh, man, but they don't do it anymore. No, no. Because Jim Lampley wants to chit-chat, Max Kellerman wants to recite Wikipedia boxing history, and Roy Jones takes a half a round, a minute and 30 seconds, to finish one sentence. Yeah, to get his point across, that makes no sense in the end anyways. I hate the fact that we're even talking about this, but... As we are trying to dis- discuss and break down a fight round by round, we are interrupting it in the same fashion that the announcers were interrupting this fight. So anybody out there that saw this or has not seen this, I highly recommend watching the fight on mute. <laughs> right. I do. Yeah. You, you will get so much more out of this fight. Yep. And if, if you want, hit me up at KennyKeith at SportsRantRadio.com. I will do a play by play. I'll watch the fight on YouTube. I will record a track and mail it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. But the uh at the end of the 5th round, there was some uh some work up against the ropes that was clearly won by multiple combos by Danaher. This was Danaher's last stand. Yeah. In that round, Walters won the round overall because for 2 minutes and 30 seconds Walters dominated that round. Right. So we go into the sixth, and Donaire's face was done. I, I, I felt the doctor was probably going to end up, if not his corner, was going to end up calling this fight around round seven or eight. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, yeah
2: it wasn't going much further. Now.
1: There was a huge exchange, both fighters toe to toe, throwing wide, crazy hooks, and they made a comment during the fight. The one, the one part that the announcers were actually white, uh, watching. Don't hook with a hooker, and these two were hooking. Yeah. Like, wild men. And sure enough, Walters landed a massive shot. I'm not going to sit here and make excuses because we both predicted unanimous decision by Walters, so we both had Walters in this fight. Right. The knockout punch was to the back of the head.
2: Yeah, it was It was borderline, <laughs> yes. You know? Yeah, but not a blatant punch to the back of the head. I mean, no, no, in no. A, in an exchange and...
1: He didn't hit him on the spine, right? But he did not hit him on the front of the on the front of the head.
2: No, it was definitely towards the back of the head. It was questionable.
1: Either way, the result of the fight was inevitable. It was either being stopped by the doctors or the corner, or Donaire was going to get knocked out.
2: Yeah, yeah, there was there was no other outcome.
1: What is your your sort of thoughts? What do you take away from first Nicholas Walters?
2: Um, he looks very impressive. I I, I also think that there's a lot of holes. That could be exploited in his game, and you know he's there's a lot of big fighters in that weight class, and you know you got you got Lomachenko, you got Rigondeaux, you got Gradovich, you got Gonzalez, you got a ton of guys that are highly highly skilled fighters, and after watching it as impressive as it was for him to beat Denair, I see him struggling with a lot of these better boxers in the division. Yeah, yeah, he he just a couple times he kind of seemed like he had timing and would jump in, and there was a certain bit of hesitation early in the fight. Yeah. Like, they'd get together, and, and Denair was almost the same way. There was like a, the opening was there, but he didn't unload, and he left himself open a lot of times. So, I'm, I'm still very impressed with him, and I think he can make a lot of noise in the division, but there's a lot of guys that I think might just be a little bit better than him.
1: Yeah, they're talking about the next matchup for him being against Lomachenko. Which would be, which would be awesome. Oh my God, would that be awesome? That would be an awesome fight. I think matchup wise, the most entertaining fight would be him and Johnny Gonzalez. Oh yeah, they're yeah. almost the same fighter. Yeah, yeah. they both I, they both have really long arms.
2: That's the one I want to see first. Is what I, is Gonzalez and uh, Walters?
1: Do you think Walters would make it out of that fight? It'd be a close fight. It
2: would be. I mean, he's gonna have to do, he's gonna have to be on the attack for twelve rounds versus Gonzalez. So.
1: Gonzalez is a sharp, experienced veteran.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's good. It's a good fight for him. I mean, we'll find out really where he's at.
1: Yeah, if he, you know, the Lomachenko fight, that will be the same sort of test that Gary Russell went through. Right. That will be the test. Let's see. Let's see how good you really are.
2: And same for Lomachenko too. I mean, oh, absolutely, this, yeah, absolutely. This is no Gary Russell.
1: No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Nicholas Walters throws bombs. Yeah. You know, and that reach could, you know. Lomachenko, his, his idea is to get in and out. He right. wants to pop you a couple times and then back out. Pop you back out, pop you back out. And, uh, you know, disrupt your timing. That is Lomachenko's philosophy. Right. And Gary Russell had nothing of consequence to be able to stop that sort of rhythm. Right. Walters has.
0: No,
2: yeah.
1: He, he, he could stop that kind of rhythm.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. Without a doubt.
1: Because, you know, a guy like Lomachenko jumps in one time trying to gauge... Nicholas Walters timing, and Walters catches him with the hook. <laughs> that uh, That's an interesting fight, man. Yeah, I, you know, I, I kind of hope that's the next one. We'll see. You know, Lomachenko fights on November 22nd on the undercard of Pacquiao, Algieri. So it'll be interesting to see Lomachenko in action again because he's definitely one of my favorite fighters in boxing.
2: Yeah, right now, for sure.
1: I love watching him. No doubt about that. So at the end of the post-fight, this leads into what's next for Donaire, what you what, what you kind of take away from Donaire. Uh, Walters is very gracious, very positive, respectful towards Nonito. You don't see much of this in boxing anymore, especially with like the heartless sort of, um, you know, like the like Chad Dawson's recent post-fight. Right. Like the whining, the complaining. You see a lot of it out of the Al Heyman guys that are there just for a paycheck. They're not there to, uh, they're told they're going to win or lose. Um, they're put in the ring against guys that, that aren't supposed to beat them. So they just assume, Hey, I'm getting paid. Right. So I I don't, I don't really care. I don't have any heart. Right. Kind of thing. But, uh, there was definitely a gracious exchange. Now, then the the mic goes over to Donaire, and he just kept on saying, he'd say, blah, 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 blah. He beat the shit out of me. Blah, 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 blah. He beat the shit out of me.
2: I've never heard that from a fighter ever before. I mean, you've heard guys say maybe once like, Oh man, he caught me, caught me good, but keep, to keep repeating, you got the shit kicked out of you. Is I mean, come on, dude,
1: have a little self-respect, I guess. I... But that, but but this comes to, I guess that leads perfectly into the question I want to ask. Did the way that this fight ended, in the beating that that Donaire took, did it sort of set up maybe an agenda that Donaire has, like perfectly, like it fell right into his lap, like? You know what? The way that this thing ended, and then I can kind of play it up and ham it up, saying, "Oh, I, I can't, I can't compete at this level with these guys anymore." It's right. a It's a perfect exit out of boxing. He doesn't have to fight anymore now.
2: No, uh, uh-uh. and I don't think he wants to.
1: No, who, who with those, talks
2: like that? Yeah, with comments like that, you, you don't have any self confidence anymore. It's completely gone. You lost it all.
1: If that was a competitive fight, which it was, it was competitive. Oh yeah. But but, but if that would have went the distance and it went to a close, like, split decision, then it's kind of like, well, Donaire's, you know, he's back. Even in a loss, he looked great. Right. This, that, and the other, and it puts the pressure on him to fight again. But this ends, like, in just such devastating fashion for him. His face was beat to a bloody pulp. He gets knocked out, and he's just like, oh, that was perfect. That's exactly how I actually wanted it to happen. So now I don't have to fight again.
2: Yeah, they talked about him moving back down to 122, and come on, he ain't. Not if you at, you, at the you age of lo- 32 you no. ain't going back down in weight, I'm sorry.
1: What Robert Garcia fighters going down anywhere? <laughs> right. the, the only the only place the only direction down that Robert Garcia's fighters go is to the canvas. Those guys do not understand the philosophy of losing weight. No, not at all. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I just got the sense after that fight that that Donaire was done. I don't want him to be done. I'm not the I'm not the kind of guy that says, "Well, he's lost, he's done." Oh, he was a game fighter
2: that night, man. He was that close to being the winner of that fight. One more good punch landed in that second round, and
1: yeah. Steve Kim interviewed him before the fight, and he asked him about his heart. and Donaire was like, "Yeah, I'm just not. You know, I'm not where I used to be." He admitted it, and 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 I think Steve Kim's respond to his own tweet when people were commenting was like basically like I'm I'm just shocked that he admitted that. Yeah. And and the thing was it it sort of if he said that to Steve Kim, it sort of contradicted the way I looked at Donair in the ring because he came out really focused. He looked game, didn't he? He he looked game. He was throw every punch had bad
2: intentions. He was looking to end the fight with every punch. Yeah,
1: he wasn't looking and was lose.
2: aggressive too. And was not afraid to exchange and Yeah, I mean, that was a great fight. I thought you know, it showed two highly skilled guys going at it. That that fight did.
1: Yeah, no, it was it was an entertaining night. It was a great night. It was short and sweet. Right. Um, I think everybody at the Stub up Center got their money' worth. They were chanting Triple G. The the Donaire Walters fight did not disappoint. There's sort of a passing of the torch in that fight. Right. And Triple G is a bona fide superstar now. Oh, there's absolutely no question about that. So what is next for Triple G? What do you see? They, do you see?
2: I see one more fight like last night's where he's not going to get that top five, top three middleweight contender. He's going to have one more filler fight, basically, as he waits for these guys to decide whether they actually want to fight him or not.
0: Yeah.
1: You know it would be a really action-packed fight? A fight, if I were Golovkin's team, I would I would push for Brian Vera.
2: Yeah, that would be a great fight. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, God, I would be scared that Brian Vera would die in the ring because he wouldn't go down.
1: <laughs> yeah. The guy well,
2: just does not go down.
1: No, he doesn't. He doesn't. And, you know, I was shocked when Gabe Rosado knocked him out in BKB. Yeah. You know, really, really shocked. And he didn't knock him out cold either. Right. But that would be a good fight because you have somebody that is, you know, a tough guy. Right. And it, you
2: have another Mexican you can put him in the ring with. So. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, I think that that would be uh, a good fight for him. Obviously, everybody wants to see him fight Cotto, Alvarez, Frotch, Ward, anybody that is, uh, you know, within range. I I would like to see him end Jermaine Taylor's career. I just want to see – I don't want Jermaine Taylor to die or anything like that. Right. I just want to see Al Heyman kind of get what's coming towards him. But Al Heyman ain't putting any of his soft fighters in the ring No. Uh. Uh-uh. against Gennady Golovkin. Not at all. But so we move on to another fighter of Russian descent, right? 24-7 aired directly after this. 24-7, Hopkins-Kovalev, a fight that you and I will be at. And this was an episode, probably one of the best episodes of 24-7 I've seen in a long time. This is going to build into, regardless of the outcome of this fight, if... Bernard Hopkins mucks it up if Kovalev knocks him out early. If it, you know, ho- however this thing unravels. The lead into this fight is great because they are they're billing these fighters as they are. Bernard Hopkins, the consummate professional, mm-hmm. the hard worker, the world-class athlete that takes pride in his craft. Right. I mean, showing just unmatched professionalism and then the story of Sergey Kovalev coming to the United States to build something great. Right. You know, a man that as a child used to try to find ways to make money any way possible so he could help his family, came to the United States, experienced a tough road, basically fighting on the outskirts of the sport, and was in fear of not being legitimized as a fighter, exercised the patience, but almost was at a point which we saw in 24 seven. And I, I would say to anybody that, that is a sports fan to watch this first episode of this, you know, he was having doubts in his mind. He was seriously considering moving back to Russia to, to just give up boxing and find something to do for a career.
2: Right. Well, that that goes to or that speaks to Kovalev's heart and drive to to stick with it and become as good as he has become.
1: Yep. And it just took one person to believe in him, and that was Kathy Duva. Right. And now this fight is going to build up into something special. This was a really, really great twenty four seven. And as this fight is around the corner, HBO is about to put on another show on November eighth, and I cannot wait to go to Atlantic city for this fight.
2: Yeah. It's going to be unbelievable atmosphere. I think Boardwalk. I haven't seen the ticket sales yet. Is it sold out?
1: Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It
2: it may not sell out, but it's going to be a a pretty close to capacity crowd. And that's going to be a great environment.
1: Uh, Dude. I think you're selling this short. I, I, I I wish I had time to look this up right now. I really, if this doesn't sell out, I will be unbelievably shocked because of the buzz behind this. thing.
2: When I bought my tickets, uh, probably a month ago now, three weeks ago. There wasn't very many. I mean, you can go in there and pick what seat you want. Yeah. There was not a lot left.
1: We'll just have to wait and see. But if this isn't sold out, I'll be shocked. Because the way they built this thing last night on 24-7 is, this is huge. This is really big for boxing. And they know it. Oh, yeah. You know, they know it. They said, you know, um, Hopkins was saying, he goes, he's, he's like, you know, you know, I'm old and I'm old school. He's like, my philosophy in boxing is one thing. My belief is cleaning out your division. Yeah. Oh, you have to. Before go you move win, up. Yeah. Clean out your division and then move. Don't grab a cheap belt
2: and then jump up. Yep. Don't, don't do that. That's, that's what all these fighters do
1: nowadays. F- false as hell, man. Yeah, dude. They're all... Uh, they're so many heartless clowns in boxing. You know, not only is it the mismatches that these guys want to go in there and not get hurt and, and get paid. You just don't see this anymore. And, the, and these two fighters are exactly what is good about the sport. Because mm-hmm. without without guys like this the sport would just fade into nothing.
2: Yeah. I mean Kovalev signs the fight while two days before his last fight. I mean, come on, these are these are guys that are all about the sport and and giving the fans what they want to see.
1: So before you know, we're we're a little ways away before we do our preview show for the fight. But who are you I'm not gonna ask you to make a prediction, right, but who are you cheering for? Who are you rooting for?
2: I'll always cheer for B Hop. B Hop's my man. Yeah. Has been since, man, since I remember seeing him knock out Tito Trinidad from that point on. He became, if if he hasn't been my favorite fighter since then, he's been 1A, 1B. He's he's my man. I, I'll always be on the side of BHAP.
1: Yeah, I, I like both of these fighters so much.
2: I, yeah, I'm not going to be mad if Kovalev wins. I'll put it that
0: way.
1: Yeah, I I just have no idea how to uh, how to even begin to take sides. I was thinking last night. Uh, Kovalev is wearing this this badass like trucker hat, like Crusher trucker hat.
2: Well, yeah, I've seen that. Uh, that is awesome.
1: Yeah, dude, I, I want one of those so bad. <laughs> it's like I'm gonna wear that to the fight. Like I'm gonna wear a suit with that hat on <laughs> and an alien mask. <laughs> right. My wife will be wearing the Crusher, or vice versa. She watched 24 seven with me last night, and she was uh, she's definitely rooting for Kovalev. But yeah, yeah. Uh, any He's woman's got gonna the, love that story,
2: right? You're right. He's got that heart that heart pulling on your heartstring story there.
1: Yeah, but uh, Kovalev's definitely, like, of the same sort. He's cut from the same cloth as Triple G, not only in style of fighter, but personality, man. You cannot dislike this guy. No,
2: uh uh-uh. He's, yeah.
1: He smiles nonstop. Yep. He just thinks everything is so great, man. Yep. He's just just, happy to be alive. Yep.
2: Happy to be in America. Happy to be a champion.
1: Yeah. No, it's great, man. It's great. Well, man, you know what? There is so much that we could talk about for the rest of the show, but we are running up on one hour, and I think we'll cut it at there because we have a few weeks before the Alien Crusher card, and we need some stuff to talk about next week. Yeah, we do. So we will just cut it right there and uh, call episode 18 Mexican-style post-fight. I don't know what I'm going to title this thing yet, but I am so glad that we actually had... Fights to talk about, right? You know, not just crap like trying to find a di- you know, a needle in a in a haystack, diamond in the rough. Just trying to just extract a fiber of something positive out of them, right? Just the crap show has been. Feeding Thank God, yeah, last man, night was great. HBO's back, and uh, they have some pure excitement on the horizon for boxing fans and sports fans alike. So for my co-host Vince Cummings. We say goodbye, we say farewell, c'est la vie from The Tale of the Tape. I'm Kenny Keith of SportsRantRadio.com. And be sure to drop by the website for all the archived episodes of The Tale of the Tape. We will be back next week with episode 19 of The Tale of the Tape. Same bat time, same bat channel. May the force be with you always.